all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? <laughs> I'm Rachel. And I'm David. And this is All Bad Things. Follow us Insta, Twitter, Facebook at All Bad Things Pod. Email us allbadthingspod at gmail.com. Join our Facebook group. Answer the question, please. Just answer the question. Just answer the question. Um, and, it's, and it is just a pretty, it's what is your favorite disaster? Yeah, think. and you can you can even put, I don't know, there are so many. <laughs> that, that's acceptable. That's acceptable. Anything. Seeing as how there are. Right. Mm-hmm. There oh, are so we many. We both indeed. drank at the same time. I know we did. What are you drinking? I am drinking an extra special uh, prickly pear Michelob Ultra. It's prickly pear and lime, correct? And lime, yes. They're actually pretty good. Yeah, they're not I bad. Think they're pretty good. I am still. I'm drinking the same beer as I was last episode because we're only recording just a two couple days, days later. later. Uh, the Wicked Weed Watermelon Dragon Fruit Burst hmm. out of Asheville, even though they did sell out. Did they? They did, yeah. No? They they sold to like um, Budweiser or somebody. Oh, like that's right. Yeah. yeah, I forgot about that. You're right about that. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, it's it's yeah. gonna happen here and there, but there are there are still. There's I a mean, lot of thousands of independent brewers. So. Yeah, there's a. I I learned uh, recently that there's a like independent craft brewers guild or something, and they have yeah. a. If you've ever seen the upside down beer bottle insignia. On a, a beer. Not sure if I have. I have. That's what that and means. Yeah, it means that it's uh, an indie, <laughs> an indie beer. Um, speaking of indie, but more along the lines of indie pods, I have some pod recommendations. Ah. Um. So first, anxious and afraid, the podcast, which we will be playing a promo of, possibly at the end of this episode. We had some technical difficulties in getting the promo. So we may or may not have it by the end of this episode. Um, but Abby and Shauna are doing that pod, and it's an indie pod, and they are listeners of ours. So thank you, Abby and Shauna, and listen to their uh, their pod, um, Anxious and Afraid. And then also our listener Shelby came out with 80s Pop Tops. Ah. They go through uh, the top five, I believe, songs of every week in the 80s. Nice. <laughs> Isn't that cool? I think that's uh, that's pretty cool. There's there's going to be quite a few that stay in the top five for a long that's time. That's true. That's true. Es- yeah. Especially in the mid 80s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, Michael Jackson, Madonna, Whitney Houston, mm-hmm. Prince, they all had mm-hmm. long runs. Yes, definitely. And with several songs, not just one. Yes. Uh huh. Yeah. Multiple hits. Um, Phil Collins, too. Phil Collins was hot in the 80s. Madonna? Yeah, I said her. Oh, did you? Sorry. Yeah. Um, I know Michael Jackson. I know it's easy to, for you to forget about her. Yes, you know I don't like her. <laughs> <laughs> I do not like Madonna. Um, another pod. It, it kind of is indie. It's they have. I, I I appreciate that they they have a Patreon, but they don't have any ads, so it's really easy to listen to. It's called You're Wrong About. I know it's pretty popular, so people have probably heard about it, but. Um, it's basically like Mythbusters, but for social and uh, criminal type 
not all criminal necessarily, but like they talk about debunking myths about things. Like uh, uh, they talked about Terry Schiavo and the circumstances surrounding her death and everything and how like you're wrong about her husband. He actually wasn't a horrible person, even though the media made him out to be. Yeah, I didn't know the greater circumstances of that case all i knew was that some people wanted her to live some people wanted her to have the freedom to turn off her anyway yeah it was it was anyway they, they go through the they go through the whole thing and it's on lots and lots of topics so they and they're hilarious they're really really funny but very conversationally written as well sure. so um remember uh we were trying to figure out what the term was that that we used in the challenger episode regarding like oh yeah systemic mm-hmm. it, uh, um it's called normalization of deviance okay yes and both kristen and emily uh offered that up and i think that is correctly exactly what it, it was, was uh it was a systemic um bad culture acceptance Ex- yeah yeah acceptance of bad culture of deviance yes from the rules yeah is jesse yeah he's he's all right is he chewing the no bed? he's okay. just i think he's after his little binky okay <laughs> um and then a couple other things uh good luck to uh all teachers and all students and all parents as uh, school, uh, school got underway today, which we're recording this on Monday, August 17th. Uh, I'm guessing in a lot of places, school is getting started oftentimes, or fingers crossed, mostly with uh, remote instruction for most students. Um, special shout out to Aubrey, uh, our, uh, our resident listener, public school teacher, but I'm sure we have other public school teacher listeners. And... Good luck to you, yeah, my friends. I, mean, I don't know what else to say. I, I, <laughs> yeah, I'm not even going to get started on well, that your one. your mom was a public school she teacher was. for years, so... She never had to put up with any of this kind of bullshit, though. Yeah. And, uh, and, she, and your cousin is a teacher, yeah. friends with, who are teachers, yeah. yeah. It's, it's rough. Please be nice to your kid's teacher. Please be nice to your kids, and please be nice to yourselves. <laughs> this is just a hard time. Yeah. It's just a hard time. Right now is probably a time you don't want a teacher packing a gun because they might shoot their own students. <laughs> and nobody can blame them. <laughs> or the, the students' parents. That was a joke, by the way. Yes, it was. It's not funny at all. No. It's children being, no. Or the students' parents, which would more likely be the case. Because mm-hmm. the friends that we do have that teach and the relatives I have, mm-hmm. they pretty much... My mom, not necessarily. Hey, stop that! No, somebody's being a little shit. But, um... They all say, like, teachers of this generation all say universally the same thing. Like, for the most part, the kids are cool. It's it's the parents that are a pain in the ass. That's hard. Well, it's it's hard because ultimately parents want what's best for their kids. It's just that uh, they're pressured into thinking a lot of shit is good for their kids. That maybe they need to leave it up to the experts. Hey, get away from the record album. It's Jesse Pinkman. (laughs) So he started out this episode by literally just sitting on the entire pages of research. Yes, and then he decided to start being awful. Stop that. What's all that stuff on It's you? probably because he wants to get out of the room. Probably. I might have to <laughs> let I think him do we, that. Yeah, let's do that. Okay, should we pause? Yeah. Okay, we'll be right back. And we're back. <laughs> um, and then one last thing I wanted to mention. So we touched on voting 
last week. Yes, we did. So I said vote in person because you can't trust a mail-in ballot. Something, if, if at all possible, but something to consider that I didn't even know was an option. So thank you very much to listeners who brought it to my attention. Some jurisdictions are letting people drop off their mail-in ballot. Oh, I see. ballot. Well, yeah, that makes sense. Like at a center, right? Or a drop-off location. Mm-hmm. And it varies by jurisdiction, but that might be a good compromise, right? For a lot of people because that, that bypasses might. the postal service. And... Oh, okay. I see what you mean. Yeah. Hmm. Nothing. Oh, okay. <laughs> so if you want sort of like the safety of not going in to vote in person, but want to ensure that your ballot actually makes it to the facility... That might be a, an option in your uh, your area, your district. So something to uh, a, a nice middle ground to consider. So, all right, that's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> um, it will it will probably come through at some point on the recording, but it is raining today here. Um, so there's some rain sounds and possibly some thunder sounds, and that is going to be extremely appropriate for today's topic. Oh, right <laughs> like, there. Thank <I'm> you. <laughs> I hope that came through on the recording. I think Probably it not. usually does a little bit, maybe in the background, maybe if you're listening in headphones, but, um, so there it is again. There it is. Yeah. So, uh, this is a topic that my dad reminded me about. Uh, I told you about it. Do you remember what I told you it no. was? Mm-mm. Okay, it was a couple weeks ago. Um, so I'm just going to set it up and then we'll talk about more okay. <laughs> about it. <laughs> well, that's what we do. <laughs> All right, so this is the story of the Tacoa Falls Dam break. Okay. Do you remember me mentioning this? I do. Yes, I do. Okay. All right. So... Because I remember it was because of your dad. Yes. Uh-huh. Yep. And this is uh, sort of culturally significant to how I grew up. So on November 6th, 1977, the Kelly Barnes Dam in Tacoa, Georgia, gave, failed, break, broke, collapsed, whatever you want to call Receded. it. Failed. Mm-hmm. Uh, killing 39 people. Mm. 20 of whom were children. Mm. I, I know. I was like, that's two weeks. There's of, another yeah. two episodes in a row. I know of like more than the majority that. is yeah. mm-hmm. mm. and causing significant property damage, obviously. Sure. So main sources were the Association of State Dam Safety Officials, Explore Georgia, Lessons Learned from Dam Incidents and Failures, TFC History, Tacoa Falls College, United States Geological Survey, or USGS, the Weather Channel, and Wikipedia. <coughs> so, uh, I have a personal connection to this disaster in a way, like not personal, personal, but uh, this was based. This is my dad's near miss story. My dad actually has a lot of near miss, like near death near miss uh, stories, including when he fell down or almost fell down an entire flight of stairs off of an oil tanker or barge, um, but was caught by his wedding ring. Yes, I do. Yes. Yeah. He has told me that one. Yeah. So, um, uh, th- but this is, this is kind of a creepy one. My mom's near miss story, which I've told you kind of happened around the same time. Cause this is all in the seventies when they were like late teens, early twenties. She could have gone to Florida state. 
Yes. So my mom uh, had the choice. My grandmother gave her the choice financially to either go on a trip, a school trip to Europe that she wanted to do the summer after she graduated or to go out of out of uh, well, to go away to school. It wasn't out of state. It was in the same state, but to have to go and live at the school. A little ways away, though. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Tallahassee is a ways away from Miami. Um, but financially, my grandmother was like, you can do one or the other, but not both. So my mom, just probably rightly, decided to go to Europe, and then she stayed local for school. But had she gone to FSU, she would have done so. Who would, well, have, who would have also been she would roaming have, around campus? She would have done so between fall of 1975 and summer of 1979, Ted Bundy assaulted five and killed two women who either attended or lived near FSU on the same day, January 15th, 1978. I didn't realize he killed so many people at once or, yeah. or assaulted so many people yeah. at once. Anyway, most of the victims were 20 or 21, and my mom would have been 19, almost 20 on that date. So it's possible. It's spooky as fuck it, is it what is it really is. It is really creepy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just to know that you were at one given time, like in the same atmosphere as that person, or could have been. You know she was I mean? not, but yes. Uh-huh. But like he was on campus here and there. Like you're on. You might. My not... mom never was. But... No, no, no. But I'm saying. Oh yeah. You anyone who went there. I was like, yeah. you wouldn't necessarily have to run into him. Just mm-hmm. the fact that you knew that yes. somewhere on this campus was there, this. Ooh, yeah. Well, it's Fuck it's that. creepy too. Have you ever thought like that? You don't know if you currently are in a like you know like. <laughs> I've never like our that. weird neighbor. What's he up to? He's just he's just. I think weird. he's just a weirdo. Yeah, he's just weird. I do think so. I don't think he's homicidal. No. But he did wreck our neighbor's car. He did. <laughs> and then lie about it, yeah. and then his wife held him accountable yeah. to it. Yeah, we have a weird neighbor. Uh, <laughs> we have so many stories we could tell. Not going to become the Dennis podcast. I have it. <laughs> and for some strange reason, these are stories we'll get into at some other point as well. Maybe or maybe not. Mm-hmm. I have a history of weird neighbors. Like That's funny. They have somewhat followed me my entire adult life. <laughs> so you're the problem. <laughs> it might be me. It probably is me. Well, he, you were the one he wanted to play catch with. That so. is true. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I forgot so about weird. that. That was fuck. Oh, uh, uh, Dennis. Okay. That's when I was like... No, I'm going to keep watching Game of Thrones. I'm not going to come out as a 40-year-old man and play catch with you, a 65-year-old man, but I think I was, that was like, I was still in my 30, I was like 39. Come on now. I was just sort of generalizing. (laughs) At any rate, back to this disaster. So the setting is Tacoa, a town in the state of Georgia, which is in the, uh, so for those who are not in the U.S. Uh, Georgia's in the southeastern United States, just north of Florida. Um, Tacoa itself is kind of, it's kind of backwoods, Georgia, northeast. It's along the Chattahoochee National Forest, close to the border of South Carolina. It's actually closer to Greenville. Okay. South yeah, Carolina sure. than it is to Atlanta, just sure. for reference. So. I actually have been there. I have been to Tacoa Falls and to the falls for which Tacoa Falls is named and, and the town of uh, Tacoa. Uh, and we'll talk about that. Uh, it's very pretty because it's Sounds part like of a it. national park, right? So it's all very rustic and any place that Any place that has waterfalls, I think of as being pretty scenic. Mm-hmm. Yes, and it is. It is. It absolutely is. 
I'm pretty sure I have a picture somewhere of like, I'm almost positive it was 1995, the summer of 1995 when I went there. I'm almost positive I have a picture somewhere of like 10-year-old me posing by the falls. Okay. It's like the typical tourist picture that everyone takes when they go there. So Tacoa was originally inhabited by early indigenous people known as the Mississippian culture who were known for mound building. (laughs) And this is something I never heard of. So basically, these early groups of people would build mounds for a variety of purposes, mostly about like religious and ceremonial reasons. The Cherokee eventually settled in the area after that culture. White Europeans first moved into the area after the Revolutionary War in the late 18th century, and some of the land in the area was traded to them by the Cherokee. And eventually settlers settlers took over the area after the Trail of Tears, the Mm. notorious Trail of Tears. The name of the town, Tacoa, comes from the Cherokee word Taguahi, and obviously I don't know if that's exactly how it's pronounced. I'm pronouncing it more or less phonetically, but it means beautiful and where the Catawbas lived, Mm. which is another tribe that we know of because Mm -hmm. they were also in North Carolina. Uh, and they came up in, I'm pretty sure we mentioned them in the Catawba people in our Lost Colony episodes. They came up as a tribe that we mentioned. Uh, because there is a point where all three states, Georgia, North Carolina, and South Carolina, converge. Yes. In like the extremely southwestern part of North Carolina. And there's there's a piece of Tennessee too, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But only Georgia. Tennessee does not border on South Carolina. At any yeah, point. you're right. Mm-hmm. You're right. Mm-hmm. So we we have a plus we, we border Virginia we border all kinds of shit. Yeah, we do. We do actually. Yeah, um, and shit. that yeah, and that sort of like area where all of that converges is around Seneca, South Carolina, mm-hmm. and Waynesville, North Carolina. For those who know the area, although if you know the area, probably don't need me to tell you that. All right. So the waterfall known as Tacoa Falls is 186 feet high resulting from a tall cliff over which the Tacoa Creek runs. In contrast, Niagara Falls is about 160 feet high, ah, so it's actually a little taller than that. Yeah. But, I mean, much less majestic because it's... Well, here's a picture. It's beautiful. Don't get me oh, I'm wrong. I'm sure it is. It's just... It's, it's just not as massive. That's the difference. It's just yeah. a pretty waterfall. It's it a is. very pretty it's waterfall. It's gorgeous. Very scenic. Very nice. The yes. thing with Niagara Falls, it looked like somebody punched a hole in the earth and it's there's just water coming out of it. Just so massive, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember when, because we had a hotel room when we went there that was like, we never turned on the TV because no. we just opened the, the blinds or opened and the watched curtains the falls. and watched, yeah. Because they have them all lit up at night and everything. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. And it was just like white noise all the mm-hmm. time. There was that rush of the water. So pretty. Really, just stay on the Canadian side. Eh? <laughs> Uh, so the falls lie just northwest of downtown Tacoa and is on the property of Tacoa Falls College. There's a pretty steep ravine that leads from the falls down to the college campus. Now, I do have a vague, again, I was 10, but I do have a vague memory of walking up this paved road. And I remember it being really, really steep. So it's like you have to schlep up there. Sure. If you want to go see the falls, you have to walk up. A, it's it's like a little hike. To, to do, but it's I'll stop saying it's very pretty. <laughs> All right, so Tacoa Falls College. Let's talk about Tacoa Falls College a little bit. It started out as the Golden Valley Institute in the mountains of Western North Carolina in 
1907, but I put Ulm 1907. I just, totally wrong word. In 1907. The school was then a high school, and it was started by Richard and Evelyn Forrest. Uh, Richard was the first college president. So this is Richard and Evelyn Forrest. Um, Now, they were both evangelical Christians who wanted to become missionaries before they got married. And they were both members of the Christian Missionary Alliance Church, a North American-based evangelical Christian denomination. Now, I can tell you a thing or two about the Christian Missionary Alliance, also known as the Alliance, also known as the, the CNMA. Uh, also no, the Alliance, also known as the Alliance of Magicians in um, <laughs> Arrested Development, the TV show. <laughs> Will Arnett's character, was it? Who yes, wanted to be the magician? Job. Yeah. Oh, he was a magician. Oh, oh, but yes. he was—he was trying to always decide if he wanted to be independent or a member of the <laughs> <I'll> alliance. <laughs> That's funny. So, this actually kind of is pertinent to the story and sort of permeates it. This this school was and remains affiliated with the CNMA, with with the Christian Missionary Alliance. Um, I grew up in a Christian Missionary Alliance church. I became a member when I was 16. Actually, I was like a couple weeks shy of it. They let me in um, because I was basically like the most CNMA of all the kids at the church. (laughs) Because 16 was the youngest you could be to be a a member. And I'm not going to get into all my (laughs) hangups over my childhood. You'll have to stop me from doing that. Um, But... A big part of the Christian Missionary Alliance is the missionary part. Sure. That is what evangelical means. If anyone is like, what what really is an evangelical Christian? Evangelism, you know, which we use as a verb, just it just means someone who is purposefully trying to convert people, right? Or Mm -hmm. at least spread the word. Those are the people that you see at the bowling alley, and occasionally somebody will ask you, like... Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? And you're like, "Yep," just to like agree, and then and then and then continue bowling. Yeah, which that that happened to me one time, and it was really weird. It's so weird. I was approached by a woman in Target once, like rando lady in Target. It's you know what I have to say, like being on the flip side of that. So I was raised in a church that was very much all about like we had come out of the era of back in the day. People used to go door to door and like literally just door knock and very similar to uh, who are they? The uh, Mormons, right? Yes. Do, like the idea is that they do that. Um, but by the time I was growing up in the church, that had kind of fallen out of favor. But you're still supposed to like actively try to reach the unsaved or whatever. Um, I was just really lucky that my parents were introverted and never really (laughs) right (laughs) they never really tried that themselves all that much and they didn't push us to do it yeah like like i've always said like sometimes i forget that your parents are evangelicals like i really do yeah because they're not pushy which is well and they 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 listen to all sorts of different types of music they watch all sorts of different types of movies for media they are not prudish. No. They have always watched all sorts of movies and TV. For uh, major bonus points in my heart, mm-hmm. Rachel's mom actually saw uh, Slapshot in, in the theater. Oh, like multiple times. Yes. Yeah. Because she used to see... My mom was a big movie buff back Still in the is, day. Still is, kind of. Yeah, yeah she, she is. She, yeah. Likes, she likes a lot of movies. I think the 70s was her heyday. 
Anyway, there was a story. Um, so basically... <laughs> We're just holding off the... Uh, the the 20, horrible. The 20 children deaths. I know. Um, so basically, the reason people evangelize, at least in the Christian... I can only speak to this, and I can speak to this because I was raised in this, in the Christian Missionary Alliance, is because... They think it will bring about the end of the world. I know that sounds apocalyptic. It's a little more abstract than that in the actual execution. But the idea is that there's a Bible verse that says, in this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Mm -hmm. And the idea is when every people and tribe and language has heard the gospel, once everybody's had a chance, everybody's had a shot to say yes or no to Jesus, then Jesus will come back. So it's important to spread the word to get him to come back. It's a lot of ground to cover. <laughs> it's, it's, it, there's a lot to unpack there, but we'll just Can, move can on. you just email it in now? <laughs> like if I just sent them an email, does that mean that they would never have to interact with me? Because I already gave them the well, answer. What it what it did do was send a lot of because sending an email now is almost like something you did two thousand years ago, right? <laughs> like to communicate with somebody. <laughs> what what it does do is bring up a lot of problematic issues with like colonialism, essentially, just in a in a much more well intentioned version, but still with awful consequences. <laughs> like they, they, they show up in their fifteen hundreds hot topic clothes. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like they're like hey guys have you heard about this god well we're gonna tell you all about him whether you like it or not at any rate missions is huge in the christian missionary alliance and it was for evelyn and richard Forrest too they both wanted to be independent of each other prior to their marriage they both wanted to be missionaries now here's something that is i would dare say just a skosh progressive uh, to my recollection about the CNMA is they were all for um, encouraging single women to become missionaries and go travel to like Africa and places, which is kind of, I mean, they, they wouldn't, they wouldn't let women be preachers or elders. That was problematic. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's still the case. In fact, I went to a general council where I voted. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, uh, Evelyn wanted to be a missionary in Africa and Richard wanted to be a missionary in Brazil, but there were some complications on both their ends, like various reasons their applications were denied. I don't know. I'm not getting into it. But at any rate, they decided that it was still uh, that 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 the fact that they got rejected from like the assignments they wanted was a sign from God that they should get married. <laughs> so, OK, their backup, uh, their uh, condolence prize mm. <laughs> was was to get married. Uh, and they did on Christmas Eve of 1901. They did still want to be missionaries this time together. And eventually the Christian Missionary Alliance accepted them as missionaries. They were living in Orlando at the time. And they were assigned to work as missionaries in Orlando. <laughs> so basically they got the title without the fun relocation. Sure. So, um, so they were still trying to like glass half full it. So they were like, okay, look. If we can't, like, go to the mission field like we feel called to do, we're, we'll train missionaries instead. And that's what got them or was the impetus for them to start the school. And that's when they started Golden Valley Institute. So at the beginning of 1911, the forest bought a school building called the Haddock Inn. 
or bought a building in to use for this school called the Haddock Inn and its surrounding land in northeast Georgia. And they moved the center of the school to just outside Toccoa later that year, renaming it the Toccoa Falls Institute. They expanded the high school by adding college-level theological courses, so they were becoming a Bible college, basically, or adding a Bible college. Then, interestingly, the the school experienced its first disaster. On March 7th, 1913, a fire destroyed the Haddock Inn. From what I can Mm. tell, no casualties, just property. And that was still being used as a classroom and residency hall. But Richard and Evelyn Forrest believed in the school as what they called a, quote, tree of God's planting, end quote, and they worked to keep the Toccoa Falls Institute running. Evelyn referred to her faith in a newsletter article that said, quote, but let us look up and remember God's promise to his people many years ago to give beauty for ashes and trust him for the new building he will give, end quote. So people read this newsletter and they're like, well, we want to be part of that. So they send in money to help rebuild. Even like I read like little school kids would send in like change and stuff. It was sure. really very sweet. Um, and they were able to rebuild. So the high school became accredited by the state of Georgia in 1928, which I'm going to guess it was like that was those were the early days of accreditation anyway. So I don't think they were being like Probably. off the grid entirely in the early days. Yeah. And then they became a full-blown Bible college uh, in 1937. And from what I can tell, they have been affiliated with the CNMA for the entire time the school has been open and is one of the several colleges that the CNMA has in the U.S. Uh, I almost went to Crown College in St. Bonifacius, Minnesota, outside the Twin yeah. Cities. Yep, that was one of the... I was going to go in there for music ministry. San Bonifacius. St. Bonifacius. Uh, and Nyack, they have a school in Nyack, they have a school in California, a couple of other places. Uh, in 1975, the school was renamed Tocoa Falls College. Um, that, that is where my dad almost enters the story. So he graduated in 1976 and he was wanting to go to Tocoa Falls College. So it was possible that he could have been there. When mm. this happened, and it gets a little closer later on, we'll talk about okay. it. Okay. Um, money was an issue for sure. his family, like welcome to higher education, right? So he ended up staying local and going to uh, Miami Christian College, which is no longer there. It's apparently it got absorbed by the Trinity International University conglomerate. But at any rate, um, at any rate, he he ended up dropping out, marrying my mom, having me and my sister, and the rest is history. Now he's just so proud. <laughs> the college is not he that, is though he is actually yeah that was that was me being way too he is a he's a very supportive father so the college is not that big currently so i'm guessing it wasn't that big back in the day either it has about 1600 students now i mean it's not tiny but it's not huge either that's like 400 per year uh and i couldn't find any historical enrollment statistics so I couldn't find out how many people uh, were in at the time. So in the 19th century, and I did see reference to the year 1887 specifically, but only in one source. But at any rate, about half a mile upstream of the falls at Tacoa, along the path of the winding Tacoa Creek, there was a small cypress wood dam that was built. 
1899, they wanted to build a small hydroelectric power plant in the area, so they upgraded the dam by building it into a rock crib dam. So the idea behind a crib dam is that it's basically a dam built from lumber that's kind of stacked in an interlocking way, almost like sure. Lincoln Logs yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. And then all the holes are plugged up with like concrete or dirt or smaller rocks in an earthen dam. It's uh, packed with like dirt and clay in a rock dam. It's like little pebbles and stuff like that. It's a various material, right? The idea isn't that it's not it, that it's non-porous. It's just that there's so much of it that it's it's impossible for the water to get through. So, um, and in this case, they used wooden pilings bolted to rock, and then the whole thing was filled in with Georgia red clay, which I'm imagining mm. is very similar to our North Carolina red yeah. clay. The power plant itself was downstream from the dam, right near the falls. It's actually still there as a an historical site. It helped power the town of Tacoa until 1933 when the ownership of the actual plant was transferred to the school, which was then the Tacoa Falls Institute. Uh, just before World War II, the school decided to further fortify the operation by building over the crib dam with an earthen embankment dam. So that's like uh, using... It's a wall or barrier made of highly compacted material, like earth, like earth, like uh, like the red clay, for example, or sand or rock or something like that. And then a few years later, they raised the dam, which created a large reservoir, and that became Barnes Lake. Now, this last iteration of the dam resulted in a structure that was 38 feet or 12 meters tall. So this is pretty big we're talking about. 400 feet long, or 120 meters, and about 20 feet or 6 meters wide at its widest point. So this is sizable. Mm. This is a sizable dam. Uh, it also had two spillways. So spillways are structures built within a dam to allow for like a controlled release of water. Okay. To avoid too much pressure on the dam itself and therefore causing a dam failure, right? So it's important. The electricity plant powered by the water from Barnes Lake was in use until 1957 when its operation ceased and then the reservoir just became like a recreational lake. So it was just Barnes Lake up there. Um, now, over the years, it appears that as far as like keeping track of the dam goes, uh, that the local volunteer firefighters maybe carried out some inspections, but there aren't like great written records of specific inspections taking place over the next 20 years. So take from that what you will. Now, just downstream from the falls is the campus of Tacoa Falls College, and the Tacoa Creek kind of winds through part of the campus. The creek averages about 20 feet or six meters wide on the campus. So it's not, we're not talking a little bitty creek. It's, it's pretty big. Um... At the time of this disaster, uh, at this part of the campus that's downstream of the falls, it was mostly residential buildings, including dorms, houses, and mobile homes used to house married students, faculty, and families. The area of the residential buildings was known as Residence Row, and the nearby mobile homes were called Trailerville. Okay. So... Another kind of important thing where the culture 
of the church comes into play here is that if you think of a traditional college, when it comes to like housing, typically it's dorms, right? Sure. Because a vast majority of students are single. That's very typical. In a Bible college, that changes typically because uh, people who are religious on the whole, at least I shouldn't say just religious period because there's all sorts of religions. Christian people tend to marry younger, sure. at least in the United States, yeah. than do secular or, or non-religious people or even people of some other religions. So um, it was... There, there was a time when kind of everybody got married young, but now mm-hmm. I would say in the last 30, 40 years that it's shifted dramatically. That's very true. So... That is true. Um, They used to joke back in the day that uh, a woman was going to college to get her MRS degree. What's that? Mrs. Oh, okay. To find a husband. (laughs) Yeah. So. That's funny. They still thought that uh, around Clemson when I was going to school there. Well, you were going to school in the South, too. In the late 90s. Mm -hmm. But still, that that was, I mean, I knew, not personally, but Mm -hmm. like hung out with and. Like, ran across, like, yeah, you're 20 and 21 years old and you're married. Yeah. <laughs> like, why? <laughs> yeah. That's that's actually a lot more common, maybe less so now, but certainly back then in Christian circles. I mean, just because of the whole premarital sex thing. And, um, and just that it was encouraged, like, you get married and you start a family. That's sort of the thing. It was culturally the more of the norm back in the 70s but then imagine adding the church on top of that it's it's pretty compounded further people were going there non-traditional students were going there too not just people who were 18 just out of high school but like people who were going back to oh i i you know i graduated high school went to work had my wife and kids but now we feel like we want to become missionaries us a large number of people do um, become missionaries with the family. Sure. Like, um, and actually, that causes some pretty interesting cultural issues, at least. Now, granted, I am working with like 15 to 20 year old information because that was the last time I was really involved in church culture. But I remember uh, that I think it was a CNMA. I don't know if this is still the case, but they had... Um, bo- boarding schools for MKs, missionary kids. Okay. So essentially, what kind of screwed up some kids of missionaries is that their parents were so gung ho about, and that's probably that's a culturally insensitive thing to say. <laughs> were so excited about um being missionaries, but they were like, oh, we're going somewhere dangerous. Hey, we'll leave the kids behind and yeah. go. So like their kids ended up in boarding school. Sure. Because they weren't prioritized by their parents, but then their parents' priority was God. So how do you argue uh, with that? There's a, there's a joke that pe- preachers' kids or pastors' kids and missionary kids are the uh, are the the most screwed up of all Christian kids, and they're not wrong in that <laughs> entirely. It's because of the massive amount of pressure, and there's there's a lot. We'll move on. It's just it's it's just really hard to argue with, but God told you to do this, so how do you stay there for your kid instead? Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah. <clears throat> we'll move on. Let's oh, let's <laughs> we, move on to the yes. actual disaster. Yeah. Oh boy. 
So in early November of 1977, Toccoa Falls experienced several days of heavy rain. So a total of about three and a half inches of rain fell between November 2nd and the evening of Saturday, November 5th. Okay, so three and a half inches. Not massive, but it's heavy. Uh, Then between 6 p.m. and 12 a.m., On Saturday, November 5th, another three and a half inches fell. So it rained as much in that six hour period as it had over the past like three days. Um, It was apparent to those on campus um, of Toccoa Falls College that the rain was causing Toccoa Creek to swell because like I said, you know, the creek passed through the campus, but it wasn't overflowing and it wasn't to an unusual level. This was a pretty common occurrence in this area at the time. Uh, When there was heavy rain, the creek swells. Like that's, that's pretty average. Now there was a warning issued for the area for both floods and the potential overflow of earth dams, like the Kelly Barnes Dam, but not many people in the area knew about those advisories (coughs) because In the world of, we're used to getting those horrible, like, phone warnings. Uh, When when President Trump just feels like, when fuckface feels like saying (laughs) hi. Remember that one time? Did you get that one? I I did. That was so annoying. Yeah. (laughs) It's sad to say, but I... I'll look at those for what it is. Usually it's like a flash flood. I'm like, all right. Well, yeah. Sometimes Amber Alerts will come through on those. And, like, it's hard to be like, ugh. Why did you bother me with that? But like, what are the chances I'm gonna find her? Well, I mean, or that's why that's why them. they that's why they put it out to everybody. Yes, that's true. You're correct. I should not. Argue <laughs> I should that. not belittle our I Amber should not Alert belittle system. The Amber Alert system. No, 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 no. It is or worthwhile. the or the storm warning system. <laughs> that's true too. That's true too. But that's I feel like that's what we get the most often is like flash flood advice. We do. We get that. I've, that'll pop up like once a month. It seems. Mm, yeah. Yeah. So key, So they didn't have that back then, obviously. Mm-mm. So and and this is a Saturday night and. Toccoa Falls College is not a party school, in case you couldn't gather that from yes, what it I is. told you. <laughs> you have no idea the good time you could have been having there. <laughs> so it's not like it was Saturday night and everyone was out partying. It was Saturday night and everyone was tucking their kids into bed for church the next morning. This is the beginning of Christian metal, too. So they were doing that, too. <laughs> Petra was probably out. Yes, Petra was out by then. Petra, one of the original Christian rock groups. How about I'll that? Have to, I've never paid. I've never I've played never, you Petra. I've never heard of them. I've played you Audio Adrenaline. You have. I've played you DC Talk. Yep. I have never played you Petra. Petra. They're like the OG okay. Christian rockers. I was really only kidding about. Oh like no, the, no no no! They totally I, were. Oh okay. Well, plus there was that Christian metal band. Uh, Striper. Striper. Yeah. There we go. Uh huh. I had one of their albums. <laughs> <laughs> Were they stealth Christian? I, like Jars of Clay Christian? No, because they actually had, like, the name of the album I believe I got was, like, Isaiah, like, 314 or whatever. <laughs> so they weren't really trying to hide it. I just didn't, there you go. You didn't care. I, just, I guess I just didn't have a feeling about it at the That's time. That's funny. <laughs> yes, the, the only hair metal Christian band <laughs> to make it big. 
the only ones to make it big. I'm sure there were plenty of them yes. roaming around mm-hmm. in Jesus bands. Yeah, and there was a period in the 90s where it was like, how vague can we make the lyrics to maybe get some secular radio airplay? Yeah, and that's what bands. Taurus of Clay yeah, did. Had no with idea. Flood. Yep. Ironically, Flood. They played yes. that song on MTV somewhat heavily. I can't swim after <laughs> yeah. 40 days in my Anyway. So, keeping an eye on the situation were the members of the Toccoa Falls Volunteer Fire Department. From what I could tell and what I could gather, these were people who lived, specifically men, who lived on the Toccoa Falls campus. So, they were faculty or um, staff or uh, students. I was going to say people who patronized it. Students! That's what you call a patron of a, um, a college. So they were keeping an eye on a a specific bridge on the campus that was often used as like an eyeball to gauge the situation when there was a potential flood situation. So under typical conditions, this bridge was pretty high up. I heard something like 40 feet above the water below. Okay. Um, It's pretty high. It was... At that point, the the water was reaching the bridge. Oh, wow. It was, it was really swelling, but it wasn't good. unheard of. Sure. Their gauge was, if it gets to be like a foot over, then it could potentially... So their main concern was actually flooding from upswelling of the creek, right? right? So that house damage, basically. And they had mobile homes and stuff, which aren't on like solid foundations, so that could get a little dicey, too. At that exact moment, they were not thinking dam break. They were thinking more flooding issues, right? Now, while that was like their first focus, they did stop and think, hey, we do have that dam all the way upstream uh, past the falls. Let's go check on it. I was going to say, we might want to take a look at that. And they did. Yeah. They did. They Mm. went um, between 1030 and 11 or so. PM the night of November fifth, because this all happened like in the very early hours of the more next morning. Um, uh, two of the guys, Ron Ginther and David Flutterjohn, uh, went who also lived on the campus, went up to the dam, and because they wanted to, their their issue was actually less about the dam and a little bit more about like well what if so much water swells up in the lake that it goes over the dam right which is also an issue if the spillways aren't working properly so um so they went up there and they looked and things actually looked okay the water level on the lake was was elevated but it wasn't massively so didn't appear that there was any structural issues with the dam like it kind of looked okay uh now that that's actually a testament to how quickly this all happened that and the the sheer amount of rain that came down in like an extremely concentrated period of time it was like one minute you look and everything's fine the next minute it's turned into a problem is essentially what happened so they radioed back to the others to report that everything looked okay. Uh, and then, so it passes midnight into Sunday, November 6th, and the rain just kept up massively so. Uh, they So the, the, these volunteers became more and more concerned, and they're like, look, we should probably, even though it's late, we should probably go door to door and knock on people's houses and say, hey, just watch for some water. Like, water might start sleep, seeping mm. out. 
Again, they yeah. weren't necessarily most concerned about the dam. And honestly, if the dam was structurally sound, they shouldn't have had to worry about the dam, right? True. It was more about embankment flooding. So they're like, hey, just keep an eye on the flooding. Like, this could start encroaching into your house. They were probably more worried about damage, right? Water damage, your valuables, your mementos, whatever. That's probably more of the, the main concern. So that's what Ginther and Flatter John, along with Eldon Ellsbury, that's a great name, <laughs> kind of like a football player's name, Eldon Ellsbury. I'm thinking a left-handed pitcher. Hmm. Good baseball yeah. name, too. A, a, a relief pitcher. Although I think um, David Flutter John is more of a hockey player, because look at how his name is actually spelled. Flutter John. Oh, yes. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yes. And then also Bill Ehrensberger went with them and they they were basically like wading through mud going door to door these these guys were very diligent and were really keeping an eye on their community um the advice like i said the advisory wasn't to evacuate they still had no idea the dam was in any danger at all of failing but just to keep an eye on things uh so after they had gotten around to everybody in the area they decided to go get a cup of coffee together I mean, because like we're going to be staying up to keep an eye on this. So let's just go have a cup of coffee. Uh, They weren't going to go have a drink. You know that. (laughs) Uh, When they noticed that the water started to rise much faster in the creek, Mm. which is essentially that was the early warning signs of the dam failure. Right. Uh, Then they also started noticing sounds like shotgun blasts, which turned out to be power lines popping as they Mm. were torn down by the water. And at that point, they were like, we need to get back and start evacuating. Like, we need to get these people out. At that point, they knew there was a major problem. Now, one of the men, uh, Deloise Pinney, who went by D, I guess because I get it. It's probably hard being a man named Deloise in 1977. Uh, He lived on campus in a mobile home with his twin sister. This is so adorable. Eloise. So they were Eloise and Deloise. (laughs) It could have been, uh, even though Deloise is, is this guy's first name, could have been, uh, it'd be funnier Dom if it, I was going to say it'd be funnier <laughs> if it was his last name and that they were actually related. Uh, he was related to Dom yeah. Deloise. Um, according to my grandfather, Dom Deloise was a horrible person. I, I'm sure all, a lot of people were back then. <laughs> Especially if you were famous, because there was no, there was, it's not like it is today where people are going to see everything that you do. Like, you were right. in a very controlled environment mm-hmm. unlike <laughs> this story where right. you're supposed to be and i don't i'm sure we'll probably get into that on the back end but yeah so this is just this is simply an accident this is not anybody's fault to this point no no there is not an individual responsibility no. in this story no no. So D. Penny had been with the other guys and he left the group a little earlier to travel to another part of the campus. So as he drove, he saw the lights go out, the power go out in the lower part of the campus, the part lower in the valley that was downstream from the falls. Um, uh, and, and then a few minutes later, he saw water rushing towards him. Oh my God. So, and he was like, okay. I need to turn around. (laughs) So he turned around and started driving away. His intention was to go back and warn people, like probably tearing through honking, like get out, get out. 
Um, Because that's unfortunately what it had come to. But he was quickly forced by the rising water to completely abandon his vehicle. He just had to bail and had to just get to higher ground. So Flatterjohn told Ellsbury and Ehrensberger to get in the volunteer, because at this point it's just like, this is not going well. So to get into the volunteer fire, volunteer's fire truck and drive it to higher ground, sounding the alarm, the sirens on the truck. And that would serve as like just a mass warning to people, right? Like, get out, get out. Um, unfortunately, they were only able to travel like 100 feet before the truck was in danger of rolling, right? Like being pushed over by the water. Mm -hmm. And they had to abandon the truck. And so they they literally, at this point, they were getting out of the truck into rushing water. And Ellsbury actually initially was able to grab on and hold on to a tree. Um, And he had to watch Ehrensberger just disappear into the water. Hmm. Uh, by 1.30 a.m. on Sunday, November 6th, about half the total length of the dam, 200 feet's worth, failed, causing an estimated 176 million gallons of water to come bursting from D- Kelly Barnes Lake down the falls and onto the Tacoa Falls College campus. It is estimated that the maximum velocity of the water was around 24,000 cubic feet per second. Now, that's hard to translate, right? According to, there was like a um, a Weather Channel retrospective I watched that was done maybe 10 years out. So it was like 80s, somewhere in the 80s. And the newscaster on that said that the water velocity was somewhere in the range of 150 miles per hour. Hmm. Of water. That's... And you know what it feels like to get slammed by just gentle water. Oh, it, yeah. You might as well be hitting... Well, that's why um, That's why someone can kill themselves by jumping off a bridge because the water, the surface tension, it's essentially uh, cement. Yeah. You know, so it's kind... It's a similar idea. Yeah, water is pretty powerful. It's awful when it... We actually yeah. use it for electricity in certain... Well, they did in this place <laughs> yes. prior, yeah. Yeah. The wave that rolled downstream is thought to have been between 25 and 30 feet high. Jesus and Christ. again, this is a this is not a beach. This is a rural forested little quaint northeast Georgia sort of place backwards. This is not like we'll run to the nearest high rise. Like this is it's awful. Um I keep losing my place. That's okay. So, uh, uh, so obviously the main issue in this case wasn't just the flooding that they were initially concerned about, but the velocity of the rushing water, which was steamrolling everything in its path. Entire buildings were ripped off oh, of sure. the foundation, yeah. swept away, smashed against other buildings, rocks, or trees. And while they had been attempting an evacuation, it... People didn't get out in time. Some people didn't even see it. Some people didn't even wake up. Some people didn't even see it coming. Um, uh, at at one point, when all else failed, someone tried ringing an old school bell. You know, like mm-hmm. like a uh, like to warn dinner people. time, yeah. sort of, just to get just People's to wake attention. people up. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. The scene was obviously terrifying and chaotic. Um, one witness said, or one survivor said that the noise, quote, sounded like jet engines. 
end quote, which it would. It would be incredibly loud. Plus, let's not forget, this is 1.30 in the morning in early November in Backwoods, Georgia. So it's basically like pitch black outside. Yeah, everybody's the asleep. power's gone out and probably at least a little chilly. Yeah, I mean, probably. It's, it's, yeah. it's still gets cold and cool in November, you know. One survivor, Thurman Kemp, whose son Chris was killed in the disaster, recounted later how, quote, the floor disappeared. Hmm. That's how he described what he saw in his own home. And he said, quote, all we could do was just hold on, end quote. His entire family was swept out of their home, got separated, and they didn't see each other until like hours later, thinking that each other had died. Well, sure. Unfortunately for them, their son Chris did die. Uh. The home of David and Kim Eby was completely swept off its foundation, and David and Kim were able to make it up to the roof of their home. Like, which was, by the way, moving. Yeah. Like, off its foundation. And it got, like, it it would have, there was, like, a bend in the creek, so it got wedged up against another building. Otherwise, it would have kept going and smashed against the side of a mountain. Yeah, that wouldn't have been good. <clears throat> no. That would not have been good at all. So they got wedged in this against this building, and they decided to, like, make a go of it and try to escape um, from the top of the house. They ended up in the water, but they also ended up back in the house underwater and were able to find all of their kids and get no them shit. out. So fortunately, their whole family survived. Like, I think they had three kids, so... The debris that the wall of water had gathered was swept further downstream and ended up creating its own dam. So all this stuff just kind of piled up and ended up creating its own makeshift dam, which interestingly ended up protecting further, like further downstream from similar damage. Like it helped curb the disaster. So here is kind of a map of everything. So here's Barnsley, mm-hmm. the falls, and then you can see the the creek, and that's where the all the flooding and all yeah. the disaster. It just it and just went you, right down that path. And plus, you can see the momentum like mm-hmm. it would take for by the time it reaches. You're absolutely right because there was gravity <laughs> yes. too, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that was giving it a lot of power. So there's, uh, so these are like residential, there's Residence Row and there's Trailerville. Hmm. And then you'll know this, you'll notice this, which comes up later. Can you read that? No, what does that say? Stevens County Hospital, oh. which we'll talk about in a second. Okay. But here are some aftermath pictures. Jesus. It's like it was never even there. The, uh, yeah. I imagine this was similar to what the Johnstown flood would have looked yeah. like. I think the Johnstown flood was actually larger, but because it, it was a whole down in the valley town, and it happened a at a school, but completely different time in history. Where yes. there, I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, this is crazy. Wow. Yeah, obviously, just just utter devastation. In the end, a total of nine houses, 18 mobile homes, and two college buildings were completely destroyed, along with, like, who knows how many vehicles, right? Uh, And another 10 buildings were damaged, along with damage to structures such as bridges, roads, embankments, and culverts. 
The estimated amount of the property damage was 2.8 million, which is almost 12 million today. Wow. And this is a tiny. I was going to say they don't they don't have so, the budget for that. Yeah. This is tiny, tiny, tiny. So, of course, most tragically, a total of 39 people died. Yeah. Bill Ahrensberger and David uh, Flutterjohn were two of the victims. Ron Ginther, another one of the firefight volunteer firefighters, lost his wife and four daughters. Plus, all this shit is happening in the dark, which yes. made it even more terrifying. Horrifying. Horrifying. And, and it's pitch dark. Good luck finding anybody if you're looking. Dee Penny's twin sister, Eloise, also died. Many victims were members of the same family. Tommy Ahrensberger, Bill's son, was the only surviving member of his family. His parents and his three siblings were killed. Mm. Patricia Sproul lost her husband and three daughters. 20 of the victims were children. And from what I could tell, the youngest was 21 months old. Jamie Uh. Veer. And her mother, Sue, was critically injured. So news of the dam break spread quickly to the local hospitals. And uh, authorities were on the scene in actually relatively short order, especially given the... And I'm, I don't. I keep saying backwoods. That's not really correct. It's a. It's a town. It's not a it's metro just, area. It's just rural. Yeah, it's exactly. Just, it's yeah. it's rural. It's just there. Yeah. So they arrived within about thirty minutes. Of That's the pretty dam good. Break. It for is nineteen seventy-seven. Exactly. Yeah. And further, they were dealing with like washed-out bridges and stuff. Oh, I was going so to say, had to go yeah, up the long way. Yeah, they were in a sense lucky to even get there. Yeah. Yeah. So the waters receded under the level of that bridge. Remember that I said they kind of gauge things by within an hour of the break. So basically it was quick and violent and then, and then that was it was it. done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jesus. In addition to police, firefighters, rescue workers, and civil, civil defense personnel, the Salvation Army, Red Cross, and locals wanting to help as they could also responded. So yeah, people just so it sounds like, sounds like the National Guard, too. Uh, I didn't or see state specific reference to that, but possibly, yeah, there was um, there there was a, a large response, and even just neighbors wanting to help, which which is very nice. So aside- I, I like how I said state national guard, <laughs> state guard, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. it can't be both. Not technically. <laughs> so aside from relatively badly injured most of the survivors actually weren't badly hurt it was kind of one of those either you're gonna make it out yeah or you're not yeah so because the burst had happened during the night the search efforts were ramped up more as dawn approached because the the rescuers also and searchers had to work in the same conditions so they kind of had to wait for daybreak most of the survivors were evacuated by 4 a.m around dawn the rescuers approached the men's dorm Forest Hall, where my dad is convinced he would have been staying. Hmm. Further, um, according to my dad, he would have been staying on the first floor. The windows on the first floor had all been busted out by the water, and that's where they found the first victim. Oh, wow. Yeah. 37 more victims would be found within the next 48 hours. The last person to be found, Paul Williams, wasn't found until almost a month later. I couldn't find any more details on what sure. that was, but um, there it was sounds like he might have gotten just buried. washed away or there, there that were, too. There were um, the first victim they found in Forest Hall. I heard like they found his like hand reaching up, and that mm. was the. I mean, it was a horrifying situation, right? 
Uh, the site was first visited by Georgia Governor George Bubsey the morning of November 6th, with First Lady Rosalind Carter arriving that afternoon. Remember, the Carters, Jimmy and Rosalind, they're from Georgia. They are. That's so right. this is yeah. their this is their home turf. Uh, and further, not only is this like their home place, they're both Christians. So this is a Bible college in their home state. They showed up for it. So the site was declared a national disaster area by Jimmy Carter on November eighth. Uh, and plus, like, just imagine being the president to show up to some place to give support to the people. Mm-hmm. It, well, it was his wife, but still, but mm-hmm. in a caring way. Imagine. Yeah. Like a human president. <laughs> I, I I would almost posit that Jimmy Carter was our last human president. Is the most human president, human president that we've had <laughs> yes. uh, ever? I gotta say, I understand I do not know the full his picture. Poli- his politics weren't great. He was not, I mean, things happened. I think he was well-intentioned. I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. But I think, like, his... his um, Post-presidential. Oh wait, he's career. done so much he humanitarian is, work. I think he's probably been more effective than he was as the president. <laughs> which, you probably which, can be more effective, which, but that's as not, not the president. That's not how it's supposed <laughs> no, to work. <laughs> but yeah. No, he's done like Habitat for Humanity into yeah, his nineties. He's still doing it. Yes, not, has been. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Oh man. But I, I think those days are getting close to over, if not already for him. Well, he's, hopefully he's staying yeah, safe right now. <laughs> looking so good. Aww. Well, he's like, I think he's he was born in, I looked up, 1924. He's like 96 years old. The man is like 95 or 96 old. years old. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh-huh. I figured he was yeah. in his 80s, but my God. No, he's in his 90s. Jesus. Yeah. So Governor Bubsy. <laughs> As he would say, Jesus. <laughs> Except it's not in that way. No. Governor Bubsy called for an immediate investigation, and the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers also investigated. On December 7, 1977, Carter ordered a prioritization of inspecting more than 9,000 non-federally owned dams, so in other words, state or locally run Mm -hmm. dams, uh, that, if they experienced a similar failure, could result in catastrophic loss of life or property. So they're like, let's find our weaknesses here. Now, the state investigation findings released on December 21st found no one direct cause of the dam failure. However, it did note that possible causes could include design flaws. I mean, this thing was initially designed in 1899. Yeah, I don't... And then it was just kind of fortified after that. Yeah, this is 1970, so... This is like uh, 78 years later. In 1899, that guy was probably a genius and built built more than one dam. Right. I'm gonna guess. But like by 1977, they're like, well, you didn't account for all these things that you didn't know you were supposed to account for 80 years ago. So... And there's... Possible potential collapse of one of the spillways. So ultimately, the dam was old, poorly designed, and just met awfully harsh conditions. Right. Like this rain was remarkable mm-hmm. for the area. And plus, the and it thing gave had, way. the thing had probably been getting chipped away at for years mm-hmm. and years and years, and finally it just gave. Un- Unfortunately, much like can be said of a lot of the United States infrastructure. Absolutely. The right conditions and it will just crumble. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So five years before the failure of the Kelly Barnes Dam, Congress passed legislation known as the National Dam Inspection Act after the catastrophic Buffalo Creek Dam disaster in West Virginia. 
We will 100% cover this. I even bought a book about it. So there we go. The act, which was initially, uh, or what was initially directed the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers uh, to inventory non-federal dams deemed to be at a high risk of failure. It was also supposed to include recommendations that would result in a years-long project to inspect and regulate such dams at the federal level. Problem is, Congress didn't give enough money for that to be done. So they passed legislation and then underfunded it. I'd like to say that that's the first and only time that (laughs) happened. But, so all that happened was the inventory was taken, which is known as the National Inventory of Dams, which means that we know what the problems are. We're just not fixing them. (laughs) To scare us all further, this inventory currently contains more than 90,000 dams. 15,000 or more, over 15,000 of which are classified as, quote, high hazard potential structures, end quote. When we did our uh, I-35 West collapse, Mm -hmm. I believe I brought up the statistics nationally for bridges, Mm -hmm. and bridges are in just as bad of a shape Our whole infrastructure, roads, bridges, dams, uh, uh, waterways... If you paid somebody a living wage and gave them benefits, I bet we could fix all that right about now, seeing as there is about, what, 40 million people out of work? Oh my god, can you imagine what an easy fucking win that would be? It would just be so easy. Like, just, all you need is the money, and then, like... Which we've got. but But you save the money of all the bailouts needed by, like... Even Forget on, an economic impact payment. Here's a job. But even on top of the bailouts, like now we know we can just magically come up with money whenever we need it. So <laughs> we need it. Let's let's power through let's this. Let's do it. The Association of State Dam Safety Officials estimates it will cost about twenty-two billion dollars to upgrade the most high-risk dams in this country, which in federal money it's is drop in not the bucket. <laughs> like they've they've literally got that in a pants pocket somewhere. Toccoa Falls College received an outpouring of support from both the local community and the greater church community after the disaster. It is estimated that over 1,700 churches and 5,000 people sent help, along with dozens of other colleges, private businesses, public sector uh, relief programs. Having happened at a religious institution, many of those who survived found comfort in their faith. As one survivor said, quote, God was with those of us who escaped. He was with the 39 people who died. Because of the flood, we know that God will be with us through anything we ever have to face. End quote. And can I just tell you, you go through a traumatic event, whatever makes you feel good, I'm 100% behind. So yay God. Go God. If that is your thought, hooray. That's fantastic. Whatever makes you feel good, you go for it. Um, kind of an interesting little human interest story to throw in at the end. Uh, I didn't know where to put it. Like, it didn't really fit anywhere else. It's kind of... I agree to save it for the end. If, okay. If it's good. And well, it's just... I, I don't know. It's it's kind of like an aw yeah. sort of moment. So that's good. Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll take that out. Deloise, our friend Deloise, uh, yes. D-Penny. D-Penny. Um, so remember his friend, uh, by some accounts his best friend, uh, David Flerjean? Mm-hmm. Uh... He David left behind a wife, Margaret, and Dee ended up marrying Margaret, and they raised all their oh, kids together. Okay. Um, and they had a family together until Dee died in 2016. Oh, okay. So just recently. Wow. Yeah, he was like 65, which is a little on the oh, young side, so... but I couldn't find what he died of. Hopefully it was just 
nice and easy and all that. But, um, but yeah, he and and it appeared based on his obituary, like there several of their kids were named so and so Flutter John Penny. So I think they kept their dad's like name as their middle name, and then he adopted them, which is kind of sweet. So yeah, it is. Yeah. That's uh, and that was the story way to end it. of the Tacoa Falls Dam break. Yeah. Um, if, Again, just just a simple, just a, I mean, just an accident. Old infrastructure. Old infrastructure. And it just it and, gave. And nobody misbehaved in this at all. No. Like there were even people trying to mitigate it. Mm-hmm. There are people like saying, "Okay," and like that's the scary thing is that they thought about the lake and the dam. And they went up to look, and mm-hmm. they're like, okay, it looks okay. And, like, within an hour or two hours, it was just, that's, that's the, it's it's like the perfect storm of old infrastructure and then unprecedented amounts of rain, basically. Yeah. You know, just all of a sudden. And who knows where the little fault was that started the whole like problem it had probably been building for years and just nobody just nobody knew it oh i didn't show you i'm pretty sure i have seen this this is the memorial it lists all the people who died and if you look at it i don't know if you can see it's it's not very clearly printed but a lot of them are the same last name like they're they're listed alphabetically by last name because their entire families Mm -hmm. yeah that sucks yeah, that's it's pretty bummer. terrible. It's yeah. a bummer. It's a major bummer. Um, if somehow you are... Because I feel like the information I found on this, that, that I put together for this, came from like multiple smaller sources. Like mm-hmm. nobody had the whole story put together. Because right. there was like the TFC <clears throat> history and Tacoa Falls, which obviously they're going to have their view of it, right? Right. Um, which understandably, um, kind of centers around, we suffered this loss, but God is good. So Mm -hmm. then I get it. That's, that's, that makes sense. And then there's like Wikipedia, which is like X, Y, Z, you know, Mm -hmm. this, this, and this. So if by any chance there's some kid going to Tacoma Falls College or someone who's Christian or in the CNMA listening, I did try to curb my swearing. I promise. (laughs) I promise. And as a former CNMA kid, while I don't agree currently with the um, philosophy Mm. and beliefs, I certainly feel that all of these people were, they they, they were blindsided. There was nothing they could have done about this. And some people very bravely tried to help them out, a couple of whom ended up dying Mm -hmm. too. And it's just tragic that there were whole families i mean that's just it what i think is kind of remarkable about this story is you don't hear a whole lot more of it and i think it's i think it's because there's less alarmist raising from people who maybe were more like of faith I don't know. Maybe I'm. Yeah, maybe I'm totally speculating. I am totally speculating at this point. But like your favorite thing. You know how, and I'm not saying this is wrong, but in the wake of some tragedies, some people speak out very loudly, well, sure. like survivors yeah. or um, uh, survivors of victims, and 
totally understandable. I feel like everybody here stayed within the faith community mm-hmm. in speaking out. So there wasn't so much sensationalism around it because they weren't using Maybe. the news as a catalyst. They were using their church community as a catalyst for rebuilding and, and um, finding comfort. So it's interesting. It's just kind of like an interesting contrast in um, a, an approach of recovery. Sure. I feel like I I was almost on to something really profound, but whatever. It's a sad story. I think you're always on to something really profound. <laughs> always something on to something really profound. Always on to something. But, uh, <laughs> I'm always it's on to something. A, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I just, I can't imagine. Just, and most of these people, it seems like, I mean, if it's 1.30 in the morning and this thing is, you're probably asleep or barely waking up. And, or, you know what the sad thing is? Probably because they first, they went around mm-hmm. and knocked on doors. So somebody woke up. Chances are, in that circumstance, it was the dad of the family, right? right? Because these are very traditional family units. So probably like the dad showed up to the door, you know, his little bathrobe or whatever. But the mom and the kids kept sleeping or the kids certainly kept sleeping. So and then the anyone who maybe had the chance of hearing like the siren or the or the bell or whatever, like... Wouldn't you just kind of sit up and be like, what's that? By the time you realize what it is, the water has already like overtaken your entire house. And just the idea of the power of something literally sweeping away a building. Mm -hmm. A a mobile home, I kind of get because those aren't on solid foundations, but a building building. like that's creepy. Yeah, that's awful. And just it's just one of those things like you forget the power of like ordinary nature things, like oh it's just a lake, oh way up there. Oh no, it's fifty feet high. And we're downstream. <laughs> yeah. It's like yeah, yeah, I am a lake. Let me show you. <laughs> yeah. Or a river, or a, I mean, all yeah, just yeah. Whew, yeah. The raw power of nature is mm-hmm. something we've always struggled struggled against. Yep. Well, and we always will. Mm-hmm. Not going to stop anytime no. soon. The only thing you can do is do certain precautionary me- measures, have some certain shelters in place. Kind of. And hopefully, as much as we rail on politics and partisan politics, hopefully, something that all citizens can agree on is that proper infrastructure and protecting our infrastructure and fixing our infrastructure is something in everybody's best interest. Yes. Not only is it for all of our safeties, regardless of who we are, but it actually, it puts people to work too. Like it is an economically advantageous thing to do. Yeah, because that also has to be maintained, which, Mm -hmm. yeah, that's a lot of jobs there too. But it's within everybody's best interest that all of that happens. So Uh, Federal jobs program, we need one, like, Mm. right now. It'd be very helpful. Yes, this would be the perfect time to do it. Yeah. But, gee, nobody is running on it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you talk about a fucking Uh, slam dunk uh, issue to run on. No, we're not going to, oh, oh, you guys, no, no, you. We're not going to do it either. So. This is going to let people suffer instead. Vote. Yes. I, I'm not even getting into who you're voting for. Just vote. Just vote. Remember, if there's any offices you don't want to vote for, you are allowed to leave that race mm-hmm. on your ballot or races on your ballot empty. That is okay. In fact, the most important, important thing you can do. Yes, the most important thing that will affect you the most is to vote your local stuff. Vote your state and local 
um, races. Those are super important because they do actually affect you. And, and in many are, cases, they can deal with infrastructure and stuff. And well, I was going to say, a lot of times there are referendums yes, uh-huh. to vote for. Yes, like, do absolutely. Do you approve of a $100 million infrastructure plan? A bond plan? for this or that, uh-huh. transportation tax, mm-hmm. all sorts of things. Yeah, that you get a say in. So don't let like lackluster candidates... <laughs> Which is really all you have to choose from. <laughs> like, disenfranchise you. Make no. sure that you're getting your voice heard. Even if you only go and vote for one thing that you researched, yeah, exactly. that is still worth. If it's the $100 million transportation bond, you mm-hmm. voted yes or no. Right? Mm-hmm. It's important that it be accurate information mm-hmm. for what the citizens really want. That's that's what's important. So, Turned it back around to voting. <laughs> I have a feeling we're going to be doing a lot of that like three in the next more months, couple yeah. of months. We'll we'll all get this we'll all get this straightened out. Hopefully in that I don't even know. I'm not going to finish that sentence. <laughs> so anyway, that was the Tacoa Falls dam break. This has been another episode of All Bad Things. I'm David. I'm Rachel. And stay tuned, possibly. Possibly. <laughs> Hopefully we'll get Depending it. Depending on audio quality. Yes. Well, it, it's a technical issue. Depending if, on if technical issues. If Rachel can issues. get it together, you will hear a, a promo for Anxious and Afraid. If you don't hear it, go listen to them anyway and we'll play it next week. Absolutely. <laughs> so stay tuned for a promo from Anxious and Afraid. Possibly. Possibly. Hey guys, I'm Abby. And I'm Shauna. And we're the host of a podcast called Anxious and Afraid. Do you love deep dives into true crime? The paranormal? Strange history? Conspiracies? Well, so do we. And each week we take turns surprising each other with whatever anxiety-inducing subject we are obsessed with that week. Tune in each week to hear Shauna mispronounce words. Um, the guys on the lookout apparently asked for binoculars. Did I say that right? So the photos showed him and his colleague entertaining... <laughs> And listen in as Abby constantly asks too many questions. I was about to ask you a lot of questions. I'm glad that you interrupted me. Continue. I would have told you to shut up. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to do. Stop quizzing me. Okay, you know, I did enough research. Let me just tell the damn story. Jesus. Continue. Episodes drop every Tuesday, available wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also find us at our website, anxiousandafraid.com. We're always looking for new friends, so don't forget to rate and subscribe. 